0: Welcome to First Presbyterian Church in North Palm Beach, Florida. We exist to help people pursue and share gospel-driven lives. We hope, whether you're investigating faith, a seasoned follower of Jesus, and anywhere in between, this podcast helps you connect with Jesus. Uh, We are finishing the series that we've been in during the Easter season Over the last several weeks by today listening to the story of the birthday of the church today is Pentecost Sunday where the Christian community around the world celebrates God giving God's spirit to the Christian community and thus the beginnings of the Christian church. In the heirs' house, when it's your birthday, if you're one of our kids, we always take some time to tell each of our children the story of their birthday. And so today we're going to be doing something of the same. So today's scripture reading is going to be from Acts chapter two, verses one through 13, and I'll pray for us as we prepare to listen to the scriptures, and then we'll hear the text together. So pray with me if you would. O oh Lord, our God, you are very great. Send your spirit, we pray, to renew us and to create new life. We pray these things in the name of the risen Christ, amen. Friends, listen if you would now to the book that we love from Acts chapter two. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. In our own language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, We hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they're filled with new wine. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the first people that became a friend of mine when my wife, Monica, and I moved into the city of Philadelphia to start the church that we pastored there, was a man whom I'll call James. James and I met at our neighborhood dog park, and as we got to know one another, I immediately found him to be somebody who was smart and curious, interesting and interested. He had a Big tangle of brown hair that cascaded down over big horn-rimmed glasses. He had a great sense of humor and a quick quick smile. He was one of those people who had a dog that was more a fashion statement than an honest-to-goodness animal. But we got to be friends as we saw each other around the neighborhood over the next weeks. And inevitably, as, as he found out what it is that I do for a living, he went on to tell me that i was the actually the first living breathing christian person that he ever met before and he told me as he was telling me this that his only other point of contact with christians at all was the experience of working on a documentary film he was a he was a filmmaker and kind of a jack of all trades sort of person and he had, he had been one of the assistant directors on a documentary that premiered at the Toronto Film Festival and then went on to show around the world that was called Jesus Camp. Now, maybe if some of you have, have seen this. It's a documentary that follows an exceedingly eccentric children's camp that a church puts on in a rural part of Missouri called Kids on Fire. And there are a number of fairly horrifying things that are portrayed in this documentary one of the strange ones is that is a particular moment in which the woman who leads the camp gets all of the all of the children whipped into an emotional lather such that they're rolling around in the pews of the of the church church that hosts this camp and, and babbling in, in nonsense. And then it cuts to a moment of interviewing her where she explains that she's training these children to get the Holy Spirit, to get the Holy Ghost. So my friend James relays this to me. And then with a deeply concerned look on his face, he said to me, is that like what you do too? You know, we're not the first people at the story of God giving people his spirit to wonder to ourselves, what does this mean? So I wanna invite you for a few moments this morning to stand as it were on the streets of the city of Jerusalem as the very first followers of Jesus receive God's spirit, during the festival of Pentecost and to reflect with me for a few moments on what it is that God is giving us when God gives us his spirit. First, I want to suggest that God in giving us his spirit is giving us his own breath, giving us his presence. The story that Luke, who writes the book of Acts, tells us begins as Jesus' flustered friends are hiding in a house during the Jewish festival of Pentecost. And then, things take a strange turn. Luke tells us that there is this violent rush of energy and life, that then there's this burning brilliance that manifests visibly in the room and somehow comes to rest on each of the followers of Jesus who were there. Now, these images of wind and fire, they're images that Luke wants us to see as echoes of earlier parts of the drama of God's work in the world that we have in the scriptures. That image of wind, first of all, it calls us back to the creation story, to the story of the beginnings of all things. In the very beginning of the book of Genesis, the biblical narrator tells us that in the, pre-chaos, the pre-creation chaos and soupy nothingness, that God's spirit or wind or breath, those are all one word in the language that part of the Bible was originally written in, that God's spirit or breath hovers or flutters over the nothingness. And then we're told, The climax of the creation story, that God shapes the human community out of the stuff of the ground, and then the biblical narrator tells us that God breathes his breath, or his spirit, into the human community to make them living beings. And then we have this image of fire. That calls the Exodus story, the events of the Exodus to mind. Moses ambushed in the wilderness by God's burning brilliance in a bush that burns and isn't consumed. And then God's fiery, strange presence leading his people through the wilderness. God's blazing presence atop Mount Sinai in the moments when God takes a community of nobodies and slaves and makes them his own family and makes them free people. And using these images of wind and fire, Luke wants us to see that that's what God is now doing through Jesus in us, in the lives of his followers. The thanks to Jesus coming among us and living, dying, and rising for us to undo the power of sin and death in our lives and in our world, now, if you belong to Jesus, God has made you new. And God has made you free. Luke wants us to see that if you're a follower of Jesus, you actually have the breath of God's own presence living in your life. Your life, unremarkable and mundane as it may seem, if you belong to Jesus, is a burning bush of God's own presence. This is why the writers of the New Testament often talk about the Christian community as the temple of God. The temple in the Hebrew scriptures was where God's burning presence resided. The point is that if you belong to Jesus, if you've been marked by Jesus' grace, you are now, and we together are now, a living, breathing temple of God's own presence and brilliance. You have the breath of God's own self in your life if you belong to Jesus. That's what God's giving us when he gives us his spirit. So the question for us is if we live our lives as if that is actually the case. I love how a woman named Barbara Brown Taylor, who's an Anglican theologian and writer, puts this question in one place in her writings, talking about this story in the Bible. She says this, she says, the question for me is whether we still believe in a God who acts like this. Do we still believe in a God who blows through closed doors and sets our heads on fire? Do we still believe in a God with power to transform us, both as individuals and as a people? Or have we come to an unspoken agreement that our God is pretty old and tired by now, someone to whom we may address our prayer requests, but not anyone we really expect to change our lives? I love how she puts that. Do we really believe in a God like this? Now, if you're you're somebody for whom you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, I think that this story, I'll say as an aside, is also also helpful for you because it shows you the way in which the Christian story takes your whole self seriously. Christianity isn't irrational, but it is is supra-rational. It's more than only rational. Christian faith is both, on the one hand, a matter of facts and history, but on the other hand, is also a matter of spiritual reality. I think that's helpful for us to notice in the time and place in which we live. There's a, there's a researcher and sociologist named Charles Taylor who is one of the leading sort of thinkers who's thought about the the nature of life in the modern Western world. And he makes a convincing case in a book that he wrote called A Secular Age that we we by and large in the global West, we live in what he calls an imminent frame. In other words, we conduct our day-to-day lives pretty much as if there's, there's not really a God or not one that we really need very much anyway. But he says that despite this, we still hear what he calls echoes of transcendence that stubbornly refuse to disappear in the world, no matter how much we think about ourselves as modern or enlightened or secular or, or so on. And I saw a little, little instance of this paging through the New York Review of Books just a little while ago. There's a, there's a writer and a scientist named Sam Harris who published his newest book a few years ago. If you're familiar with him, he's one of the leading figures in the, in the New Atheism Movement. He, in his, in his book big book on atheism, uh, he, he calls atheism, nothing more than the noises reasonable people make in the presence of unjustified religious beliefs. So this is a strident non-believer. But I was struck, and I almost chuckled, paging through the New York Review of Books to see a couple of years ago that he just published another book called Waking Up, A Guide to Spirituality Without Religion. Now, here's an avowed non-believer writing an entire book about the value of what he calls self-transcendence and the centrality of spiritual practices for human life. What does that mean? You know, I, I would say to you that the Christian story says that, that stubborn ache for transcendence, that, that ache that you have inside of you for spiritual reality, it's not, it's not a defect of human life. It's in you because you are made for a life with God. And the Christian story would actually dare to tell you that because of Jesus no matter who you are or what your journey has been in life, you can actually know the living God in such a way that God is closer to you than the breath in your own lungs. That's what it means when God says he's giving us his spirit. Second, when God gives us his spirit, he's also giving us a family, For this particular festival, the city of Jerusalem would have swelled to many times its normal population for the festival of Pentecost. And Luke tells us that a whole crowd of people gather as they begin to hear the commotion coming from the place where the followers of Jesus have gathered. And people are scratching their heads at the Christians. Aren't all these people Galileans? Now Galilee was not a place that was renowned for its learning or intellectual acumen in the ancient world. So they're saying something like aren't all of these folks a bunch of country bumpkins? Like who are these people? There were not many Galileans that went to like Princeton's Jerusalem campus or something like that. And yet, each of them begin to hear, each of them begin to hear them addressed in their own language. Well, there's this curious thing that Luke does then where he does this roll call of 15 different places right in the middle of the story. And that's intentional. Those places are far-flung corners of the entire known world at the time. And Luke, in listing those 15 places, he's actually quoting and riffing off of the prophet Isaiah in the Hebrew scriptures. In, In Isaiah 11... There is this astonishing, there's this astonishing passage in which the prophet Isaiah pictures a great day where God would act through a promised servant to gather people from all over the world home to himself, who were exiles, who he would make his family. And Isaiah lists that same list of places. And so, in in giving us this roll call of communities from around the world, Luke is saying to us that that long-promised moment is finally happening. What that means for us is that being a follower of Jesus, having God's Spirit blowing through your life, means being connected to a new kind of family. It means being connected to a family that is not defined by blood or biology, By geography or ideology, it means being a part of a family that's shaped and connected by grace. That's what the Christian community is. And that's the kind of family that we're seeking to build here. A family that's shaped and connected not because all of us are in the same stage of life a family that that hasn't come together because all of us have skin that's the same color or we're all from the same place or we all think the same way or approach life the same way. This is a family that's shaped and connected, not because all of us are the same, but because we're wildly different people who all are sharing God's grace in common with each other. That's what God gives us when he gives us his spirit. He gives us An utterly unique kind of family. A kind of human community that has never been seen in the world before or since. Uh, Third, God also gives us his mission as he gives us his spirit. Think about this with me. What was the Pentecost miracle? It was not simply that Jesus' followers had this ecstatic experience in which they made a lot of ruckus in the city of Jerusalem. The miracle of Pentecost was people hearing the good news of Jesus' grace in their own language. As the book of Acts continues to unfold, Luke continues to fill in what it means when God's people are filled with his spirit. And it means, for the book of Acts, that people come to share in Jesus' mission. Uh, That they announce the good news of God's acts of power and grace in Jesus' that they care in material, tangible ways for people in dire need, that they welcome people who otherwise would be enemies into the Christian family, that they, give, that they give sacrificially and generously of their resources, that they love enemies, that they lay down their lives for the sake of other people. That's what it looks like to be filled with God's spirit. The promise of the scriptures is that for you and I, here and now, millennia later, the same thing is true. That when, when you and I come to share in the mission of Jesus, when we tell the story of God's staggering love in Christ, when we, uh, when we act out the love of Jesus in tangible ways to people who find themselves on the margins in our own moment, when, uh, when we call people who otherwise we would call enemies or strangers family members and welcome them into this community, God promises us that in, in a way that, that we perhaps might not even notice, God says, when, when you do those things, I am doing those things. I wonder if you know that the word conspire, our English word conspire, it actually, it literally means to breathe together. When we say the two people are conspiring to do something. What we're literally saying is that they're sharing the same breath, that they're enlivened by the same wind. When God gives the followers of Jesus his spirit, he's giving us the spirit of Jesus so that we can come to share in Jesus' conspiracy of grace here and now. That's what we want to be about as a community. We want to be a community that here and now in 2022 shares in Jesus' conspiracy of grace in Palm Beach. Last, I'll I'll mention to you that when God gives us his spirit, he's also giving us a taste of our own future. The word Pentecost, it it literally comes from the word 50, pente, 50, think about the the Pentagon. And it's a, uh, it's a, It's a festival that would happen in Jewish life 50 days after the Passover, and it was an agricultural festival in which people who were farmers would bring from the far-flung regions of ancient Palestine, they would bring the first fruits of their crops to the city of Jerusalem, and they would offer them in thanks to God, and also they would pray to God that God would be faithful in bringing in the remainder of the crop. And that, that nature of this being a festival of the first fruits, of the first taste, so to speak, is also what's going on as God gives us his spirit. Elsewhere in the New Testament, other biblical authors talk about, in the book of Ephesians, for example, in Ephesians 1, they talk about the Holy Spirit as the down payment of our future with God. The point is that the the healing and friendship and the communion that we taste here and now with God through Jesus by God's spirit is a a first taste, an appetizer course of what we will experience one day when God in a fresh act of love and power finishes what he started at the empty tomb of Jesus and one day makes all things new. The spirit in in your life and in mine is a first taste in the here and now of that great promised future. That's what it means that God gives us his spirit. We're going to close together by praying an ancient prayer for the work of God's spirit. You have it on the reflections page on the front of your worship folder, or at least a portion of it. You actually also heard Jay and the choir sing a portion of it earlier in worship. And it's a, it's a ninth century prayer by a German monk named Rabanus Marus called Veni Creator Spiritus. And it's a prayer that the Spirit of God that worked in creation and the Spirit of God that worked through Jesus would also be at work in the here and now and the stuff of our own lives. And so we're gonna conclude our time together by sharing in this prayer. We'll also post it on our social media this week and so that you can have it if you'd like to take it with you in the, in the coming days. So I'm gonna invite you to pray with me now for the work of God's Spirit in our own lives here and now. Come, Holy Spirit, creator blessed, and in our souls take up thy rest. Come with thy grace and heavenly aid to fill the hearts which thou hast made. Now to the Father and the Son who rose from death be glory given with thou, O holy comforter, henceforth by all in earth and in heaven. Amen. Thanks for joining us at FPC. For more info and to connect with us, check out www.firstpreznpb.org.